0: Welcome, you're listening to Seat, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine, to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd.
1: Hello, welcome. On today's show, our guest is Paul Dolman. He is an author, and in that, that summer on his island, you're, you're hitchhiking and you come across Larry David. What did that feel like?
2: Well, I've always was hitchhiking up here in Martha's Vineyard and never in the United States mainland because it was a bit dangerous. I always thought there would be a Charles Manson or Ted Bundy lurking about. But I was in Switzerland hitchhiking. It was a great way to get around. It seemed economical. a wonderful way to meet people. And that summer, the summer of the book, I got into a groove. It was a way to just kind of figure things out because I wasn't sure what the next step was. That's how it started. Well, he was wonderful. I had never watched any of his shows because I was not a TV person. Though my parents loved his stuff religiously. In fact, there's a chapter in my book, Hitchhiking with Larry David, called "The Gospel of Seinfeld" because they quote it all the time, like it's a religious text. But I was just out there and then he showed up and I knew who he was because I love pop culture and I read a lot, so he pulled over to my shock and after asking me if I was a serial killer or not, which is a reasonable question under any circumstances, he kind of really hit it off and we started bouncing ideas back and forth and I was surprised at how open he was and forthcoming with deep, authentic aspects of himself. And when I asked him near the end of it why I'd never read anything or seen anything with these words of his, which were about spirituality, success, higher powers, he said in an almost sort of sad way that no one had ever asked him of these questions. So it's like he and many others were just waiting to be invited to share a deeper part of themselves rather than, hello, how are you? Fine. Goodbye. I'm so busy. Good. Me too. See you all. So it was an invitation to share a bit more of ourselves, which I think is the reason we're here on the planet with other people rather than like the little prince in that great book when he's all by himself. So when we create space and we're open and we want to be authentic and we invite the other people in, they don't always take the invitation, but sometimes they do, often they do. And then it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. that I have found more often than not a way to discover ourselves and each other through each other.
1: Yeah. And during that summer, do you think it was synchronicity of meeting him on and off during the summer?
2: Absolutely. In fact, even today, I had breakfast with someone to sign their book, which I always say, yes, all of you listening, if you find me on social media and want to meet me 99 times, well, actually 100 out of 100, I will meet you if I can, wherever we are. He and she, it was husband and wife, said, what are the odds of him stopping and me being there in that moment? And I thought, infinitesimal. So the whole thing is synchronistic. And then we kept running into each other. But when I think that I ended up here, out here in the Milky Way, talking to you on a planet with a suitable environment, that's mind-blowingly synchronistic. And that, thank God, the plants and the oceans create oxygen and we create carbon dioxide. The whole thing is so incredible. And oftentimes we focus on the most minute things and call them miracles or miraculous events. They are, but like Einstein, I I agree that it's either all a miracle or none of it is. To relate to your question, in that summer, there did seem to be almost an, an accelerated, an intensified version of timing. And what it was is more than anything, I think I was in the flow and I didn't have a plan. So I was constantly listening to my inner guidance, my inner compass, my heart. And it would say, go here, don't go there, step here, stick out a thumb. And when I listened, Amazing things happen. And for anyone listening to this, it's democratic. So it will work for you too, if you have faith and love instead of fear and distrust.
1: Where did the the inner self bring you while hitchhiking? It brought me
2: all over the island, which was beautiful. And it brought me deeply within myself too. It allowed me to see myself and others both wounded and famous, uh, successful and struggling. It brought me to cookouts on the beach where I laid in the sand and looked up at the night sky and a hundred billion galaxies twinkling above me in this giant mosaic of light and dark. And it made me contemplate the great mysteries. Even, are there other beings out there doing something similar in whatever form they're in? It brought me closer to my parents, even though at times it was really hard because I started to see them as human beings trying to make sense of it all like I was and like I still am. It brought me closer to a girl I love deeply when I realized that we both were just operating out of such ego and ignorance, like most of us do and like I do most of the time. It really led me into some amazing places, into not just the rides, but just into some moments. Uh, what comes to mind, I was walking down an old dirt road, came across this beautiful horse, magnificent stallion, black, who saw me across the field. And I was terrified of this being because it was powerful. And yet we had this sacred moment that transcends language. I tried to put in the words in the book, but even if someone says, wow, it, it fell hopelessly short because it was it, kind of the experience was ineffable, it was beyond language, And but yet we can have those. So it, it took me everywhere. It took me out in the ocean. It took me on my bike, it took me luckily to a lot of wonderful places to eat. <laughs> And drink coffee and, and learn. And it has taken me here with you. You're in Ireland and I'm in Martha's Vineyard and we're having a wonderful conversation. So it continues to surprise me.
1: Do you think that summer you were on like a, a spiritual awakening or a spiritual trip uh, during that summer?
2: Absolutely. And it still continues with every breath. It, that, as cliche as that sounds, and it actually is. Uh, what I've come to realize is that it's all this great spiritual trip and that it's a learning adventure. That was one of those pivot moments because, and not because a famous person picked me at hitchhiking or other famous people I met, or this beautiful woman I was in love with called the miracle in the book. It's because I started to realize that there's just a lot more here than our protoplasm, our biology, our story, our bank account. There's so much mystery below the tip of that iceberg. And to live from that place, it changes every single thing and so when things don't work out it's it's a gift it's a lesson or it protected me when things are what the mind then calls working out what did that bring and maybe not always good so i was more present i was in this spiritual thing awakening's a good word like you said and it continues it goes deeper and deeper and then i have so many moments of absolute forgetting You should have seen me trying to get my stereo to work last night. I was like a toddler trying to put together a toy. (laughs) It was just pathetic. And I realized I was in complete forgetting, but I couldn't stop myself from being a disgruntled toddler. And that's part of the awakening too, the ebbs and flows, dark and light, cold and wet.
1: In the book, you talk about um, Billionaire billionaire Bob. Tell us about that story.
2: He, I saw him a lot this summer, actually. He is a real person, a wonderful guy, really smart. I came to admire him more this summer. It's funny, I just see him as really working hard and striving, not so much for money, that's his scorecard, but that just to accomplish and achieve and that there's creativity in what he's doing, even if it's business stuff and other things. He, in the book, we met a couple times and I realized that he was very cautious with me at first because when people have a lot of money, they're constantly approached by others, including people like me, thinking they have some great idea that Billionaire Bob can make happen. Or I think for a lot of people that just pay off some bills or share a bit of your pie. People have an agenda, like what I wrote about in the Ted Dancing principle, which is another chapter in the book, because Ted's in the book. I had an agenda with Ted, and then when I realized when my agenda wouldn't be good for Ted and I didn't need an agenda, we actually had a great conversation as two human beings. So the same with Billionaire Bob, just a guy, and for some reason, He tells me the most amazing things. (laughs) I listen to him, and sometimes I feel like he avoids me, like there's some weird truth serum. Like if I ask him anything, he'll tell me this super deep, intimate truth and then regret it, but he can't help himself. So he's always saying to me, he's constantly saying, don't tell my secrets. (laughs) And when he reads my books, am I in here? He's in book one and two. He actually makes a cameo in a book that's coming out this fall, late fall called Beverly Hills Hobo. That's the fourth in the series. And again, he'll say, don't tell my secrets. And if he's listening, because he is Irish, actually, he's got Irish descent, like all of us. His secrets are safe. I think he's starting to feel comfortable with that, I hope.
1: And tell us about how you got connected with Hollywood Birdman.
2: The Hollywood Birdman. I was sitting on the Chilmar porch eating pizza, and his wife sat next to me who was very, very, very down to earth. And I joked that she looked like she was from a farm in Vermont where they raised autistic goats. She was earthy, not LA-ish for all of those who know LA. So he kind of came and went that day, checking me out, checking out the porch, checking out the scene. And he invited me to go Jewish boating to my shock. And what Jewish boating was, was just getting in a really nice motorboat and tooling around this pond up Island, the Menemsha Pond. And then invited me back to the house was another person that I felt an incredible kinship with made me believe perhaps in past lives and reincarnation because I felt this brotherhood with him that I can't really explain and maybe he did too because I found out later he is insanely private I cannot believe he invited me in And we ended up having some really deep conversations. He's a very close friend of Larry David. And one of the coolest things in the book, I don't want to give it away. There's some amazing synchronicity that involves the Hollywood Birdman, me and Larry David, that really perked all three of us up. And the Birdman said something wise. He said, you're in a very powerful place of attraction right now. So be careful what you think about and activate. you want to use it for good. And that was great advice. He pops up in book two, Martha's Vineyard Miracles, too, with some unbelievable sage-like advice. He's very tough. He's a hard ass. So anytime I tried to compliment him, he'd always say, don't blow smoke up my ass. If I said like, yeah, all the time. If I said, wow, these are great words. He'd say, don't blow smoke up my ass. Thanks for lobster. Don't blow smoke up my ass. Can't believe you're spending time with me. But I was very appreciative because mentorship is so important to growing and it's been huge for me so I try to give it back whenever ever any younger person or anybody asks me for advice I try to give, pay it forward because so much has been paid towards me
1: tell us about uh, Wall Street Mike how do you guys get in, uh, connected
2: he picked me up in this great red convertible this Mercedes convertible like about 10 times and at one point in it I say I almost felt like I should be chipping in for gas he kept giving me rides he would see me and just start pulling over before I even stuck out my thumb. It was like some sort of strange deal. And we kept saying, oh, we need to get an ice cream cone. We go need to eat something. We got to go do this. And we never did. But he was going through an interesting time, too. He had made a ton of money and his firm or been downsized or let go. So he had enough chips, but he was trying to figure out what the next act in his life was. He didn't want to go back and do the same thing over and over again. So he was in a contemplative place, too. And what was common with so many of these people, even Larry David or the Birdman or Wall Street Mike or whoever, they would share just great stuff as I would too. I was telling, talking about my broken heart or where I was lost, asking questions, and they would too. It was really interesting to share on such a level with people that technically we didn't know each other, but we came to really grow fond of each other.
1: Yeah, and that's what I admire in the book is all these these strangers in me. They they share pieces of their lives to you, and you kind of connect with them, which is amazing. That's why I'm asking you to tell stories about some of the characters to give listeners an understanding um, if they haven't read the book or not yet. Well,
2: thank you, too. And each person brought another piece to my greater puzzle. It was like filling in this good puzzle that made me so much wiser and more present, more in love with the world and a little peaceful, it really added up. So I was, I was very fortunate. I would say since that summer, it, my, my own consciousness expanded to a point where it became more accelerated, including the times I forget and become a toddler.
1: <laughs> yeah, the one thing I, I loved about the book, the books is that um, your the way you write about your parents and how your the relationship that you have with them and so on. Tell us about that.
2: They are such characters. There's, it's hard to say anything. They're just these characters. Like you couldn't make them up. I didn't have to make it up. Like when I go to touch, pet their dog, they'd always say, "Don't hurt them." Now I've never heard a dog in my life, and they know that. But for some reason, they always said that, and people would laugh and write me notes about it. Or sometimes they'll even see me somewhere petting a dog, and they'll yell, "Don't hurt him But they—I didn't have to make it up. They did that. They're just the two of the most wonderful, loving people. They're my best friends. I've grown very close to them. My dad turned 93 yesterday. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, we've never been close. He's like my best friend. And my mom, sweet, sweet soul. She has dementia, but it's just so full of love. She's so proud. And I just adore them They're human beings. It's ironic, Aaron. The circle has come completely around now where I look after them a lot, take care of them. I wonder about them. I worry sometimes. I have a bunch of people that help me do that. They're in good health, but I would not be here with you or anything in the world if I had not been raised with so much love, kindness, generosity, the values that they embody. They really are the reason for my success. I worked hard in a way. I've had some gifts that were God-given, but they really teed me up. So I'm fortunate enough to realize that, let them know. Have you started to use it in the last few years for the greater good and for my own good? But for all of you listening, unless you have the worst parents in the world, I take a moment, appreciate them, love them, reach out to them, thank them. It's an unbelievable sacrifice. I, as I got older, I realized how much they put in. The time, the sacrifice, the tension, the details, the dinners, the rides, the school, the clothes. It's an endless list. The discipline, correcting. Wow. It's unbelievable. I love I love the quote by Mark Twain. When he was 20 years old, he left home because his dad drove him crazy and was dumb. But when he came back at 30, he was surprised at how much the old man had learned. <laughs> it's when we grow, we realize how wise they are and our ego gets out of the way. So God bless them. I hope they'll listen to this and they'll know that... They're my heroes and that they've given me everything. And now they really get a huge kick out of all the things I'm doing, whether it's these books. I have a podcast that you get on iTunes. It's what matters most. I have an incredible array of fascinating people sharing their heart. It's, it's kind of a continuation of those conversations hitchhiking. A little more suitable. I'm not just sticking my thumb out out on roads it's cosmic but they love it they get a kick out of it they they read the letters that people send in they listen to the shows they are vicariously with me here in martha's vineyard so shout out to mom and dad the best people that anyone could ever have his parents and and his friends
1: when your dad brought you along with the ride and left you out the hitchhike was that a bonding moment in your relationship
2: it was a perspective moment for me because we rode around town. In the book, he picks me up hitchhiking, which is so ironic and crazy. I didn't realize it until I wrote the book that, whoa, wait a minute. Who's calling the shots here? That's so incredible. You talk about synchronistic. And we probably were talking 20, 25, 30 minutes. And then he lifts me off. He, I think he hands me an apple. But he said something that really, really has always stuck me. He said, you know, I spent more time talking to you today than I did in my whole life with my own father. When after I just said everything he did. He coached every team. He gave us every ride. He was home every night. And I thought, wow, where where did that come from? How did he ever learn and have the skills? And I actually did a podcast with him that on um, for Father's Day that I've played two years in a row now where it was just in him. That's who he was. Amazing human being. And so when that happened, when we were hitchhiking, or oh, I was hitchhiking, he picked me up. It was just gave me a Big bit of perspective, and when you walk a little bit in someone else's shoes, even for a moment like that, I find, unless you're a sociopath, it kind of kicks in the empathy, the compassion, the understanding. That was a that was a beautiful moment, really, for me, just to have that shift.
1: And when you were hitchhiking, what was going like? Was it like a meditation, or what was going through your head at that moment while you were hitchhiking?
2: One thing was always just normal linear impatience. You wanted to get a ride right away, but especially if the mosquitoes were around, like you were easy prey. I wasn't ever thinking. I hope someone famous picks me up, or I might have thought once or twice someone interesting, someone and not smoking. I remember I didn't get into a car. Somebody, was, two people were smoking. I thought, nah, I'll wait <laughs> the next ride. That's a good metaphor for the universe, actually, in life. If I think about it now, I would just stand out there and wonder and hope. And I did do something really corny too. People probably won't even believe it. I would like as the car approached, I'd send the person love, even if they didn't pick me up. Where in the old days when we were kids and we hitchhiked, if somebody didn't pick us up, we'd flip them off. (laughs) So there's a way to measure one's growth as if they owed us a ride. But it was, it was, it was a contemplative time. It's funny, I had a bike and I even had access to a car, but I grew to like the openness, the adventure and the magic of like, who today? Now realize too, everybody, I wasn't trying to write a book like, oh, I'm gonna hitchhike every day and write a book and Larry picked me up. I was sort of semi lost, like, what do I do next? I didn't even think about writing a book until I had a dream, which told me to write a book at the end of that summer. So I can't even take any credit for some great linear mind discovery. It might have been my subconscious. I think it was a combination of that, my soul, spirit, the great spirit, whatever, words, pointers. So then I even carried this piece of paper around that I wrote down when I woke up. It said, hitchhiking with Larry David in my pocket for weeks. Thinking, well, can I write a book? With that in mind, with that context, realize that when I was hitchhiking and just being with people, I didn't have an agenda. I was just going along and seeing what was happening. How ironic, everything in my life changed from that. It just shows if you're listening, any moment can change anything. Hopefully, if you embrace it with love for the better.
1: It's like catching waves on, on the beach as a surfer. Exactly, that's exactly it, good metaphor. Uh, yeah Um, and is Martha's Island is it a small island or a big island I've never been to there yes
2: oh the Martha's Vineyard it is about 52 miles I think around the edge 22 from here to there it's widest point 11 or 12 that might even be in my book it's not gigantic like I spent three winters on Maui I wrote a book about that too which is like 800 square miles the vineyard's small but it's also magical there's not a single traffic light Doors are unlocked. People pick up hitchhikers. It's just really something special. Everyone's pretty relaxed. I would recommend people come see this place. It for a while, the first couple of years, the book was on the Chamber of Commerce website because so many people had read it and said, "I read this book and I want to come visit the, the vineyard." So they were, I guess they were trying to help me back. So they put the put it up there, and which was kind. It, it's it's just a magical island. It's cool calm and peaceful it's got some sort of great voodoo too because everyone who comes here goes there's a vibe like your island ireland one of my favorite islands Excuse me that's a lot bigger but uh, it's also magical for any leprechauns that might listen to this
1: <laughs> and do you think uh, market vineyard it's excluding from the distraction of what we have in the the world today
2: i wish that was true and i'm glad you went into that place The way the world is set up, the way the whole universe is set up, and this is my opinion, is you cannot in any way run from polarity. And polarity means good and bad, hard, easy, suffering, evil, light. In the absolute, it's all some sort of great play of divinity. But that said, we have to mind our linear perspective. Stop at a red light. Don't jump out of a building if you want to see another sunrise. And in our time now, we are under siege like storms come, by what I would, if I wanted to be generous, I would say unconsciousness. I was thinking about this this morning in my meditation and also my bike ride, that the problem in general is for thousands and thousands of years, the world is being run into the ground by unconscious white men, mostly. And right now that's what's happening. This is what we have. We have an unconscious president. We have an unconscious system, really. He's not the only one. If he were to be vaporized or taken up in space by aliens the system stinks it's just unconscious and if it was conscious it would be compassionate and it would be for the greater good for all now someone in the back of the room is going to scream that's some sort of ism communism socialism not this not that that's mind-based that means those are ideas if a child is hungry that's real you feed the child if we gave everybody food and shelter and the opportunity for a dream it doesn't mean everybody would be equal but opportunity should be at least there if somebody wanted to go for higher education or go to the library or live where there isn't nuclear waste under their ground or their water and like flint michigan is full of lead you know they have the opportunity there to have really bad cancer and birth defects and brain damage that's an opportunity we don't want to give anyone so america and the world has more than enough the good Lord or whatever you call it, Vishnu, Brahman, Allah, energy source spirit has provided us literally with the Garden of Eden, this floating blue ball out in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy with more than enough for everybody. But then the mind comes in and complicates the shit out of stuff and divides it up. And so one person has four or five billion dollars and someone else dies because they don't have a drink of water or something to eat. Now the callous person might say that's life, but I say that's not life, that's unconsciousness that's our greed that's our cruelty that's our mind that's our ego and the shift i feel we need to make is to get back into the heart we need to bring the divine feminine back into balance and lift women up not above but at least equal it'll probably feel above at first because it's so unequal we have to get past color and we have to learn to share somebody could still have a hundred million dollars a hundred million coupons which is insane But let's just get everyone fed and clothed and put some shelter. Let's go to green energy. We have the technology. There's no reason to destroy the earth. So that way the stock market goes up for a couple weeks before we go extinct. Gee, what a crazy idea. And let's just you know, it's gonna take you and me and all of us to do it. No one else is gonna do it. Hillary's not gonna do it, Bernie, Trump, the system, dad. Jeff Bezos might do it. No, I'm kidding. But (laughs) but he's he seems to be doing some good things, Elon Musk. But it really it's going to take all of us like foot soldiers to be part of this army of awakening. We need an army of awakening. There's a good there. You just gave me a good idea for a book. Thank you, Aaron. But we do. We need and that's everybody listening. And it doesn't mean everybody has to start Amazon or write a book called Hitchhiking with Larry David. But find your lane. Find your gift. But in the meantime, be kinder today in front of you. You don't need to write a book or start a company. Go do it if you want. Interview people. That's great, too. But just be kinder. Be compassionate. Do your own work. Start meditating or journaling or praying, whatever it is. Take less, give more. Don't feel entitled. Be grateful. And I'll tell you what, you're going to be a lot happier. It's going to be a selfish decision. That's the greatest thing about all this. It's so selfish because it's self-loving. It fuels you. It feeds your soul. All this other bullshit, the advertising that tells you what you need, even a fake ass will not fill you up. And we know that for a fact, but we have to go do it. So not them, not someone else, me. And if you're listening, you. If you found this, your soul said, hey, look, listen. So maybe you will. It's an opportunity. It's a brand new moment for you to become a little bit more of you, who you really are. Not the story and not the mind. So that's a long-ass answer to your question. But what it means is, too, being in Martha's Vineyard, all the sorrows of the world are here. I know billionaires that are not happy. I can't get away from Donald Trump and his lunacy or his, the policies or the greed around people. You see it here, we're poor and rich mix. It's a little nicer here and I go on news fast so that way I don't hang myself and I continue to be in the world. So, it, But you can't, there's no place on earth. I've tried, believe me, for all you listening. <laughs> sold everything I owned, just had a backpack, went to Maui in the jungle and here and there. You cannot hide from polarity or pain. It's just not the way this thing's set up. It's like a fish trying to not get wet. It's impossible.
1: That's a great analogy. And is that? Do you think that's how we become consciously aware of the world?
2: That's one way. There's two ways to do it: really hard or make it easier. Most of us, including the person talking in the second, has tended to make it a lot harder rather than a lot easier. But we can choose. Usually, life whispers, then it taps, and if we don't, if we don't get it then the safe falls out the window on our heads. It's trying to get our attention. Our soul's trying to get our attention. I don't think you can avoid suffering, but I've made it a little bit easier by not choosing insanity or dumb things. I know won't work and having my mind, ego, try to power through it. I stopped rescuing people. Let people be, if they ask for advice more than once, give them some or point them towards something or someone that's wiser that could help them keep them in their power. But if someone's in front of me hungry, I feed them. If they say they're hungry and they want money, and I don't, and they don't want me to buy them dinner, I don't give them money because I think they're going to go do something else with it. But if they're hungry in front of me, I try to feed them. Same way I throw bird seed out every day and watch the birds come. That doesn't mean they have to come, but they might, and I enjoy when they do.
1: You said you, you meditate. Do you think that's what people should start to do, or have some form of meditation?
2: I won't tell anyone they should. I would suggest they try it. I've had people ask me in the second book. I had a young guy I picked up. It's a very funny story. He didn't know I wrote the hitchhiking book and he starts telling me about it. And I I picked him up hitchhiking. I was horrified he was going to tell me how bad the book was. (laughs) He didn't. But he did ask me a great question. He said, what's the one thing you feel like has changed your life more than anything? I knew instantly, but I tried to think of other things. It was meditation. I, I just think sitting in some form of presence have any complicated theory I sit in a very comfortable chair I close my eyes and I just become the observing presence of what that is what I really am and I watch the mind throw out a few insane thoughts it always resists like anything it has a will to survive it's designed that way it doesn't want to sit in the chair and become an illusion I respect that but it tries to tell me every day don't sit in the chair we're doing great I sit in the chair, and about five minutes in, it says, I love this. We should do this all day long. Let's not even open our eyes. That won't work either. But I, f- I would say to anyone listening, find what works for you. Meditation can be many things. For me, it's biking, it's swimming, it's walking in the woods. I was watching a butterfly the other day. It just took me out of my mind into this beautiful, miraculous place as I wondered. Where in God's name did that thing ever come from? How did it get created? So there were many forms, but uh, once a wise master totally called me on my shit when I was like, yes, are you meditating? I said, oh, everything's a meditation now. He said, I mean like sitting, and I was like, no. He said, you have to close your eyes, and I love the way he said it, because he meant it. He said, because if your eyes are open, you're gonna be blown away because it's all so amazing. And he was right. The five senses take over. So start simple five minutes here and there oh and god i finally remembered i finally remembered my guys who run my social media and all this kind of stuff are always saying you never tell anyone that you have a meditation that i created and i've done a bunch of interviews and i never ever plug it it's free by the way so i don't make any money from it go to paulsamueldolman.com that's my homepage. And then go there, and on there, there's a free meditation that you can use. I think it's short, it's 11 minutes and 11 seconds because of the magical number 1111 in my life. And I can even send you longer versions if you reach out and get in touch with me. So you can start there, or there's so many things online, but start. Start and try it. I know you're not going to want to. Your mind, no mind wants to. So that makes you normal. I will say, though, if you stay with it, it will change your life more than anything could
1: probably change your life as well.
2: It still does, because whenever I even throw a tantrum as a toddler, which is pretty daily, or other things, I just go to that place. And then I can just laugh at the toddler. The toddler is just being a toddler. And I'm okay. I'm not that attached. I love every moment so amazing, even some of the hard stuff teaches, but... I would love to be on Oprah, but if I'm not on Oprah, it's not a big deal. If I get on Oprah, it really is not that big a deal either. Just get in touch with who you are and then you can enjoy it all, especially the ice cream, but you don't have to become so deeply attached to it or identify or think that anything ever that happens outside of yourself will make you more whole. When you absolutely know that, you're free. And then you can enjoy everything. That's what I would tell everybody. Start, start today, give it five minutes. The other 23 hours and 55 minutes, you can be mind-based.
1: Being on Martha's Vineyard, you get to meet celebrities and people of all sorts. Do you meet them as equal when you meet them for the first time?
2: Yeah, because where are they going that I'm not, or you, or anyone else? I actually had a funny encounter yesterday. I met this great couple, and I don't watch TV. I was with a friend, and we all had this great talk. The woman was beautiful, he was cool, they just got married, all this different stuff. And my friend said after, I think she's someone really well-known like on TV. And it turned out she was. Uh, But I think for, I know for a fact, she could tell that I had no idea who they were. And we had this incredible heart-to-heart and she's hounded by the tabloids. She would have never done that if somebody had approached her thinking she's something in a celebrity way. So everybody's everybody. Everybody's interesting too. So if someone's on a path, no matter what it is, it can be fascinating if you're paying attention. I don't think the fame thing, which is so incredibly overrated for reasons that are strange, is that great a path. It seems like everybody on it comes to hate it. Taylor Swift was just here this weekend. I could say now she's gone. She had 20 security people. She was trying to go to her best friend's wedding. People were trying to get pictures, climbing over fences. There was a couple weird people around. Who knows what those guys wanted? Crazy stalker types. And I thought, my God. This looks like a nightmare. It wouldn't even be fun for five minutes. I mean, people think the red carpet or having people clap that that's love. No, it's not. That's idolatry. It won't fill you up. It's fan love. And in the meantime, you can't just sit at a cafe and enjoy yourself. So it's not, I think it's a strange thing. And even when I see Obama running around, you know, with armed guards when he was president or more low-key now, who, who wants that? Looks like I called him in my book, the prisoner of the United States.
1: You, I know you talked about you You worked as a musician. Do you ever go back to it, or are you kind of done with this?
2: I would love to, just for fun. I still play the piano for fun. I want to buy a piano. I've been longing for one lately. I had to get, um, when I was out in Maui for three summers, uh, winters, I tried to get a job playing the piano but none of the places really had a piano. I was going to do it just for food because it was so much fun. But music is I realize in hindsight music was probably my first meditation really because I'd go into a zone. It's good for the soul. It's really good for the soul.
1: It sure it sure is and it brings us this vibration of kind of happiness in some way.
2: Mhm. Yes. Everything's vibration.
1: Yeah, and what what's so special about the piano to you? I
2: don't know, I felt like love at first sight when I started to play that thing, and the sound of it. I turned the lights out and just sit in a room for hours with that my mistress, the piano, and man, it still is. There's just something about the visceral aspect of it. Wow. My mom didn't make me take lessons, probably because they knew I, could, I wouldn't stay inside for five minutes, but later on I got involved in it on my own, and it really was a lifesaver. It was so great.
1: Yeah, the hidden talents are what we explore by ourselves.
2: Yeah, and I was lucky I made a living at it for a long time. I've been able to avoid a real real job. I think that's my greatest success.
1: I, I give you success if not having a real job.
2: <laughs> Strange priority list. But
1: yeah. And in, in your, your book that you're writing and your third book, have many of the characters featured from the first and the second book?
2: It's ironic, because while we were talking, then one of the main characters just sent me a text, tried to call me, which I haven't talked to her in months. So a little bit of synchronicity there. Billionaire Bob makes a cameo in it. Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen from the Vineyard show up. I think there's a couple others, but a lot of new people. This will be the fourth one in the series. In the second book, the sequel to Hitchhiking with Ira David, Martha's Vineyard Miracles. They're all in there, because that really was... A wonderful answer to to so many. I got so many emails, luckily, and thank you all. I love them. I've answered every one of them. But everyone, in a very flattering, beautiful way, kept saying, what happened next? And I started to realize I didn't want to cut and paste, but I couldn't just answer everybody and tell them what happened. So I wrote a book about it that kind of took care of that. And then the third book is uh, like, what happened after that? As long as you, the listeners, still care, keep buying the books, I'll keep writing and telling you what I'm up to. So that's kind of it. Yeah, there's a recurring themes and people and then new characters. We get some movie stars in the book that's coming out in the fall, uh, Beverly Hills Hobo. It takes a look at our value system. I talk about celebrity and I'm out there in Beverly Hills trying to be a movie producer and playing that game. That was
1: interesting. So life, life's incredible, isn't it? It's so miraculous. It is. It's an endless possibility for um, opportunities.
2: Yes, How's life in Ireland? Are you enjoying your Irish experience?
1: I sure am. Like yourself, synchronicity happens, and you just got to run with it like like it's a ball in two hands, you know?
2: Yeah, well said. True.
1: Yeah. Um, you, you talk about um, Maggie Ryan. Tell us about how you met her. She
2: was sitting at a small cafe, and I, we all started talking across tables because the tables were like three or four feet apart. She's very nice. She's very down to earth and lovely and friendly. And she's around here all the time in the summer, just in her sweats or bike riding clothes. It's funny, she sits a few feet away sometimes and people don't even recognize her. She's just a gal having lunch or breakfast in a hat with her kid. But that day I realized that she had given a book to Oprah Winfrey called The Power Now, which I would highly recommend by Eckhart Tolle and also his second book, A New Earth. And Oprah eventually read it years later and did this big series on it. And millions and millions of people tuned in and it really lifted the collective consciousness and shifted so many people like tell it showed just by simply simply giving someone a book we think we do a small thing and then it could turn out to be a really big thing so just do the right thing do the thing that's in front of you and uh, who knows what will happen
1: yeah you never know uh, tomorrow is another opportunity for for whatever uh, you want to happen
2: yeah, on the cover of the book, hitchhiking with Larry David, I say just basically, you never know when magic will happen, and the mantra, whole mantra is just stay open because you never know when magic will happen because it's waiting, it's waiting to be invited in. So invited in, invited in, kids.
1: It, it kind of comes to the, that scene in the Last Samurai where, where, he, where the one of them tells too many minds, and if it's something similar to what you're, what you just, yeah.
2: I agree, lad. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing I've been able to talk this long without trying to pretend to have an English or Irish accent. Incredible job of restraint. You have no how hard you don't have any idea how hard that is for me.
1: Paul, who inspires you to, to write and do what you do?
2: No one in particular. I think anybody who's doing creative things I see in the world. It really comes from me, it's self-generated. I write for myself just because I feel a need to express. Whether it's a Facebook post. Something on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It's just being creative. Some people might love it, some won't. I just trying to be authentic. I like the process because it's like discovery. It's layers of who you are and you learn as you do it. It just feels good. I love to read. I've always loved to read. So reading and writing seem like different versions of the same thing, just different sides of the coin, I guess. But that's what it's about.
1: And is there a, a particular book that you love reading over and over?
2: Uh, the first one that comes to mind would be Richard Bach. By, uh, he wrote Illusions. Illusions by Richard Bach. The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. I would recommend that one. Also, David White, the Welsh poet, wrote a great book called Crossing the Unknown Sea. Unbelievable book. Those are two. Another one is a novel, The River Why, by Duncan. That's incredible. There's so many great books. Uh, I love books. I just read Kevin Hart's book, uh, that he wrote with Neil Strauss. That was that was really good. It was like an autobiography. It was so honest. God. Just let me read and eat pastries and drink a little coffee. That's all I ask, Squire darling.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, as a writer, what do you look, and look for when you read a person's book?
2: For it to be inspiring and to move along and something that grabs you. It's sort of, it's hard to put into words. It's not easy to do, but when it just sort of grabs you, you know. It's like wow, this is good. I don't want to put it down. That's it. Write from the heart, too, you writers. Write from the soul. Don't write what you think people want. That always stinks.
1: Yeah, you've got you've got this huge driver that's driving these spectacular knowledge and knowledge, uh, information from you. So
2: yes, yes, yes. Well said.
1: Yeah. Um, if you if you could give a, a gift of a book to someone, Paul, what would the book be?
2: Well, it would have to be Hitchhiking with Ira David, I would think. Yeah? Yeah, I think I would give my own book, only because uh, then I wouldn't have to go out and buy the book. (laughs) I believe in that book. I do think it's a soul-opening book. It's not the best book ever written or even close to it. I do think it has – the book itself feels like it was best of something, and it has a magical fairy dust sprinkled on it. I was the conduit. Or aspect of that can that brought it into being like a midwife from somewhere beautiful thank you god for letting me do that there's magic in there it seems to touch a lot of people and that's that i would say because and one thing because it came from my authenticity i would feel free to say hey try read this i think it i think it will open you if you're open-minded
1: so many years later, what does uh, Larry David uh, think of everything that's happened in the books and everything?
2: Well, let me read what his attorney said here. No, I'm kidding. He never got angry. He endorsed the book, which is so kind to him. He's been incredible. He wrote, I mean, a note when I first sent it to him. I couldn't believe he read it, and he did. But it said, "If I'd only known, I would have been wittier." which is classic Larry. I've had several encounters with him since, and he speaks of it rather fondly, at least in my presence, and the presence of others who have told me that. He is just a really good and generous person. He's very creative. He's got a big heart. I do portray him as quite wonderful in the book, which was my experience with Larry Damon, and way beyond the caricature of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which, by the way, has a new episode coming out. A uh, new, not a new episode, a whole new season this October. I'm going to plug your show, Larry, since you were so good to me on HBO. But he's just been wonderful about it. Never asked him to do anything beyond the initial ride. So I think he appreciates that. He's just a great guy. If he happens to hear this or anybody that knows him, he's just been, a, a, in, the, in the words of Yiddish, a real mensch. And he continues to be in the world. So I'm just glad he's here doing his creative thing, which is so brilliant.
1: Yeah, and I don't think any, anything has happened if he hadn't picked you up on the hitchhike.
2: No, I would right now be probably sweeping the floor and just hoping to get a lunch break somewhere without my mean boss. I don't know what I'd be doing, to be honest with you. Being like Jack Kerouac, hobo. I would be literally a hobo, not a Beverly Hills hobo.
1: Why? I know the book's coming out in, in the fall, but why did you pick that particular name? I just felt that actually
2: uh, we were joking, uh, me and a character called The Queen, who just checked in while we were talking here, which is synchronicity. She's, uh, I used to joke, and say like a hobo, because when she met me, I had sold everything I owned and I was just traveling. And so it's kind of like a hobo, and I was living in Beverly Hills, so Beverly Hills hobo, just sort of stuck. Who knows where these things come from, but I, I do like that title, and it's very true
1: it sure is and the names you come up with they're they're pretty funny how did you come up with them
2: i just make them up i don't know i look at people and their nicknames apparently my father's father my grandfather who i never met where if he's listening i hope he knows that he is loved for lifting us all up he had a gift for nicknames and i think i always had even as a small kid so who knew that it was going to pay off and i'd be on a show in ireland
1: big time and right uh Paul, if there was one thing that you could pick from your story, your journey, your experience, your knowledge and things you picked up during this life, what would you uh, tell someone that you met in the street?
2: that to trust life, life is friendly, life is love, even if it appears to be harsh, to slow down, stop, get quiet, get in touch with who you really are, and then see where that aspect of what you are, which is really you would like to do while it's here on earth for about five seconds in the scheme of things, really one second in the scheme of things and to trust and to love and then know that nothing bad can happen to you. Even if we're all obliterated by a nuclear war in Trump or some crazy hurricane or just the earth got tired of us and said, that's it. And we all died in two weeks because of this virus. That's not really us. That's the carbon-based life suit. It wouldn't be irrelevant and it would be sad all at once. It would be sacred and it would be meaningless. It would be paradox. But for you listening and everybody, if I met you, and I have to remind myself, slow down, get in touch with who you are, find out what matters most, like my podcast says, asks. Find out what matters most to you and then live from that place. Live simply, live generously, give more love than you take, right? Because the Beatles said in the end, the love you take is the love you make. That's true. Great song, great album. And I would say just... Enjoy yourself here. Don't don't carry a heavy cross. Put down the cross. Pick up somebody else. Lift people up. Give more than you have to. And you'll see that life pay, gives it back tenfold. Just give, love, connect. See the miracle everywhere. If you stop and get still and get out of your mind, it's hiding in plain sight. The kingdom of God is spread amongst the earth, yet man does not see it. Somebody really smart said that a couple thousand years ago. So it really is here now. And I would encourage everybody to find it in their way, wherever they're listening to this in this moment. Now it's there right there. That's it. There it is. That's what I would say to everybody. And I appreciate being on the show. This is a wonderful opportunity to connect with you and your audience and people everywhere, all over the world. It's a privilege to be asked. It's a privilege to say yes. Thank you.
1: All this. If someone was hitchhiking and you were driving by the way that uh, Larry David did, would you pick them up?
2: Of course. I have all the time. Have to. It's called karma. The universe is watching that. If I see you out there and it's a safe place, I'll be happy to pick you up.
1: Cool. Uh, Paul, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to the show and uh, sharing what you guys share, man.
2: Thank you, brother. If I ever get to Ireland, I will find you in Limerick. And we will laugh and have a nice meal together to break bread. You're very generous to have me on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Irish folks. I'll come see you sooner or later. I have to come back. It's been too long.
0: Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sandseat.com That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook. And contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.